0: But today, we are going to finish up the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, We have a lot to cover in these final chapters. There's a lot of uh, meaty material here, but this is not just going to bring a close to the book of Deuteronomy, but it's going to bring a close to the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch, called the books of Moses, called the law. And of course, this in... Uh, Jewish uh, religion is the most important books of Scripture, these first five books of the Bible. Uh, It is their history. It is their their origins, I should say. It is their covenant with God. It reveals not just the covenant given at Mount Sinai, but goes back to the beginning covenant with Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. that God promised, I'm going to take you, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God took this family from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he took this family. He delivered them out of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh. He brought them to Mount Sinai, where he met with them, where he gave them this covenant, where he gave them the law. And we've seen uh, from that point of the giving of the law till today, there's been a lot of ups and downs. Uh, Needless to say, uh, there's been a lot of rebellion. There's been a lot of hard things they've had to go through. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, But yet God is faithful in his promises. And that's what we take from these first five books. That even when people are unfaithful, God is still faithful to his promises and to his covenant. So faithless Israel, even in these moments of faithlessness, in these moments of rebellion, it does not stop God progressing his covenant to bless the world. That's ultimately what all of this is about. It's leading us up to God blessing the world through Jesus Christ, and rescuing not just Israel from slavery, but rescuing humanity from slavery to sin that we found in the first part of Genesis. So this book of Deuteronomy has been a retelling of the law and a retelling of the story, so to speak. Moses adds those parts in here to the book of Deuteronomy. But it's a retelling of the law, to a new generation. The previous generation had died out. Moses, Deuteronomy, the second reading is is giving a a retelling of the law to this nation. They're on the brink of the promised land. God God told them, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to give you a land that I'm going to promise you. And they are right here on the brink. So Moses is giving really what is his final words, because in today's uh, passages, we're going to see that Moses Dies. And with the death of Moses, and with the death of the previous generation, there has arisen a new generation, and there's also going to arise a new leader by the name of Joshua. So we went through the past two weeks. Moses is explaining the law. He's taking the Ten Commandments, and he's expounding upon them with all of these different types of laws, all these different scenarios that they're going to come uh, that's going to come up in the land, how they deal with this Moses is calling them to faithfulness So after chapter 26 with the ending of this exposition of the law, I want to pick up reading in verse number 16 of actually chapter 26. So if you have your scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse number 16. This is going to lead us into chapter 27. So Deuteronomy 26, verse 16 says this, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God, that Yahweh is your God, and that you will walk in His ways and keep His statutes, and His commandments, and His rules, and will obey His voice. And the Lord and Yahweh has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession, as He has promised you, and that you are to keep all His commandments, and that He will set you in praise, and in fame, and in honor high above all nations." that he has made, that you shall be a people holy to Yahweh your God, as he promised. So ending this long section, going back to chapter 12, all the way through chapter 26, ending this long section, Moses gives a final reminder of the conditions. This is a conditional covenant. The Mosaic covenant is a conditional covenant. Each party plays a part. Here, Israel's part, as Moses just said, is to do everything that God has commanded them to do and to keep his rules, to keep his statutes, to obey his voice. And when they do that, when they meet the condition, God will exalt them above all the other nations, and God will bless them, and God will prosper them, and they will be his special people above all the nations of the earth. So this is a reminder of the conditions of each party. As we said in our first lesson, Deuteronomy follows ancient uh, covenant agreements, very similar to the other nations surrounding them, between nation and nation, or between nation and God. So we've seen the stipulations, we've seen the preambles, we've seen the stipulations, Uh, we're getting ready to see the blessings and curses, but this is the conditions that each party plays a part in this covenant. Now, after this declaration here in 26, when we go into chapter 27, Moses is going to describe and give instruction for a covenant renewal ceremony. And this ceremony would take place after they go into the land. When the Israelites take possession of the promised land, they go into a place called Shechem. And we've talked about Shechem before. And at this place called Shechem, they are to build an altar out of stones. And this altar out of stones is to be a memorial for what God has done in bringing his people into the land. Uh, Shechem lays between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And these two mountains were to serve as a picture, a picture of blessings and a picture of curses. So in chapter 27 as Moses is giving these instructions he tells them when they go to the land to first build an altar, set up these stones, and then he tells them that he'll that God's going to take half of the nation and put them on Mount Gerizim. He's going to take the other half and put them on Mount Ebal. And it's here that they would pledge their faithfulness to Yahweh and agreement to the covenant. And this covenant would be ratified in the land with their affirmation of what is presented to them. Uh, This place where they're going to do this has significance. Um, It was here that Abraham was first told um, where the promised land was. He built an altar there, his first altar. He built an altar there. Jacob bought a plot of land. Where Joseph was buried, we find here is in Shechem. Thus this place is already full of historic significance before Moses' time, and that would lead for it to be an appropriate place uh, for the people to visit and make a memorial and ratify the covenant when they go into the land. Uh, They divide the tribes, as we just mentioned, half on Mount uh, Mount Gerizim, half on Mount Ebal. And then in this dramatic setting, you're going to have uh, the Levites are going to read aloud these curses. And the people are going to affirm, in essence affirming, yes, we are taking responsibility for our part of the covenant. So if you notice down in chapter 27, uh, verse number 12, Deuteronomy 27.12, Moses says, When you have crossed over to the Jordan, these will stand on Mount Gerizim. And he lists the tribes on Mount Gerizim. Verse 13 says, These shall stand on on Mount Ebal for the curse. And he gave the tribes there. So Mount Gerizim stands for blessing. Uh, Mount Ebal stands for cursing. Then the Levites will declare with a loud voice. And verse 15 says, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. An abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, sets it up in secret, and all the people shall answer, Amen. Verse 16, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. And Amen means, so be it. Uh, verse 17, another, Cursed be. 18, Cursed be. 19, Cursed be anyone. Uh, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. 26 ends with curse be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them and all the people shall say amen so be it so they are already when they get into the land are signing the the dotted line saying we will be responsible for not doing all of these things we'll be responsible for the curses that would come upon us and um which maybe they should have said, wait a minute, this might be a bad thing. You know, God, maybe we need something a little more merciful toward us. But this is the covenant that they will agree to. Then, when you go into chapter 28, we're expounding upon these blessings and curses. Like I said, these two mountains are the pictures Gerizim's a picture of blessing, Ebal's a picture of the cursing. Now, chapter 28, 28 is a pretty famous passage of Scripture. Uh, here in the book of Deuteronomy, because it breaks down these blessings and curses. So chapter 28 lists for the Israelites the blessings and curses of the covenant. Ancient treaties and law codes usually ended with a section of blessings and curses. Moses explains that faithfulness to the covenant will result in blessings in the future. If you're faithful, you'll be blessed. If you're disobedient, if you're unfaithful, you will be cursed, and these curses will come upon you. So they have a prospect, there's there's potential in front of them of blessing and prosperity, if they faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, faithfully obey the voice of Yahweh, and be careful to do all of His commandments. And so let's read some of these in Deuteronomy 28. Here's the beginning, Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. If you faithfully obey the voice of Yahweh, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations. That's the if-then. The old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, this covenant we're reading, is a conditional covenant. If Israel holds up its end of the bargain, God will hold up his end of the bargain. If Israel is faithful, then God will bless them. If Israel is unfaithful, then God will curse them. So, if you obey, if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God, then the Lord will set you high above all nations. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then he lists the blessings. Uh, And the blessings go down about to verse number 14. Verse number 3. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Literally, what you sell in the marketplace will be blessed, what you grow in your fields will be blessed. Blessed will be the fruit of your womb, verse 4, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and your young flock, from your children to your crops to your animals. All of it will be blessed if you listen and obey and keep this covenant. Verse 5 Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed will you be in Blessed will you be when you come in, blessed will you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you and be defeated. So there's promise of victory if they are faithful to the covenant. They will go in one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on your barns and in all that you undertake. He'll bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people. So you you get the point. Down in verse number 11. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of your ground. Verse 12. The Lord will open to you His good treasury, the heavens, and give the rain to your land in its season to bless all the works of your hands. So as you're trying to grow your crops for food and provision God, if you're, if you're faithful, God will give you plenty of rain to grow the crops in your land. Um, and so forth and so on. Verse number 13, He'll make you the head and not the tail. You shall go up only and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, uh, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So that's the blessings. So we have, you know, about 10, 11 verses of actual blessings that we have here. Um, Then if you notice, in verse number 15, we have the opposite. Verse number 15 of Deuteronomy 28. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then instead of the blessings coming upon you and overtaking you, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And he repeats these curses. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed will be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be when you come in. Cursed shall be when you go out. And then it Expands on more curses. Then the uh, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, frustration, and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you, strike you with wasting disease. Verse 22, fever, inflammation, fiery heat, and drought blighten with your mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. The heavens over your head will be bronze. The earth under you will be as iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. No rain on your crops. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You You shall go out one way, or you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. Horror to all the kingdoms of the earth shall you be. Your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air. Verse 27. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and confusion. You shall grope at noonday. Uh, you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually. Um and it goes on and on you shall betroth a wife and another shall ravish her you'll build a house and you'll not dwell in it you'll plant a vineyard you will not enjoy its fruits your ox will be slaughtered the donkey will be seized the sheep uh, shall be given to your enemies your sons and daughters will be given to another people verse 33 a nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and all of your labors you shall only be oppressed crushed continually driven mad by the sights that your eyes will see. And it just goes on and on and on. And the bad news is we're not even halfway there yet to all of these curses. Uh, it continues on Verse uh, in 36. It says, the Lord will bring you and your kingdom and your king who you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods of wood and stone you will become a horror a proverb a byword among all the peoples and it just goes on and on and on verse 45 even begins to assume not these things may but verse 45 almost begins to assume that these things are going to happen all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the lord your god and it goes on And on and on. All the way down to verse 64. The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. There you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. Verse 68. The Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. A journey that I promise that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves but there will be no buyer. On and on and on. So you've got like 11 verses of blessings and like a thousand verses of curses here um, that the law is expounding upon. So that is setting up to not be good news. Um, they have a potential to be blessed but a greater potential to be cursed. So if you notice under the blessings and curses on our paper, under the third uh, paragraph, some of these covenantal curses, and that's what these are. These are covenantal curses if they break the covenant. Um, You see kind of the categories, drought and crop failure and famine and plagues and poverty. Um, So there's a promise, number one, that of course, in Israel in those days, a lot of, you know, the festivals, everything revolves around harvest. Everything revolves around crops. It's how they feed their families, how they feed the nation. It's how they sell, it's how they, you know, they, they make money. So that's very important. So if God is sending rain in its season, that's a good thing. But yet, if they're unfaithful, God will cause a drought to come upon the land. And their crops will fail. And that will lead to Famine, and that leads to sickness and death. And then there's putting on, and putting on them plagues and sickness and boils and fever. And God is putting upon them all of these plagues. Poverty would come to them, blindness and disease. Then invasion and captivity. Other nations will come in and invade them and overtake them. And ultimately exile from the land and disgrace to the nations. Uh, and slavery would come upon them. Um, when they are unfaithful to the covenant and these curses play an important role going forward they are referenced many many times especially when you get over into the prophets the uh, the prophets are continually warning israel hey you know what's going to happen if you continue to break the covenant you know what's going to happen if you don't turn back to, to Yahweh and serve him and him alone. And uh, the prophets continually go back to these, um, to these curses and these covenantal curses. So it's important to um, understand the role they play in the future of Israel that will go forward. Uh, these blessings and curses are conditional. Again, Israel can choose uh, to obey and be blessed, or they can choose to disobey and be blessed. Cursed. The good news for us, taking these blessings and curses, bringing them over to us today. uh, First of all, we've already mentioned in our studies today, as believers, as Christians, as the church, as non-Israelites. First of all, this covenant was never our covenant. Okay, that's good news. We were never under this covenant. Gentiles were never under this covenant. Um, There's been abuses of this covenant. Um, I remember growing up and you've heard of like word of faith, teaching and prosperity, preaching. Uh, A lot of the ideas for prosperity, preaching and teaching came out of Deuteronomy. You know, if you hearken diligently to the voice, he's going to prosper you. And there's a lot of blessing and prosperity in, in those verses we read. You know, you'll, you'll, Blessed will be your basket and your store. And, you know, if you want to be blessed and prosperous, then you need to, you know, obey the voice of God. And, you know, but if you don't, then you'll be cursed. And you don't want to be cursed with poverty and poorness because poverty and poorness and sickness are all curses from God and, you know, show that you're not faithful to God. So there's been a lot of abuses um, taken from Deuteronomy, even put on the church in our modern days. Secondly, so number one, we have to understand that that this covenant was never, the church was never under this covenant. Okay, this is a specific covenant to a specific people given in a specific situation for a specific land uh, for them. Secondly, in Christ, for those who are under the curse of the law, or for those, the only way anybody could have been under the curse of the law is to put themselves under the curse of the law by trying to follow the law. So to those who were under the curses, the good news is, is that in Christ, the curse of the law has been removed because Jesus was cursed for those cursed under the law. Notice at the bottom of the page here, I've listed Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. So Jesus was cursed for those who were cursed under the law. Galatians three ten through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them, who does the law, shall live by the law, for good or bad. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, I think we looked at this last week, this one scripture, Cursed, because this comes from Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, he was cursed for us. He was cursed for those who were cursed under the law. He became a curse. Why did he do that? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, you know, when we start reading these uh, curses and we start reading all these things that we can say, oh, you know, I haven't lived, you know. So then we ask the question, well, you know, I, I don't always live perfectly. Sometimes I don't do what God says. Sometimes I sin and mess up. So is what I'm going through, did God put this on me to punish me or curse me? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Christ has redeemed us from the curse Of the law. He's redeemed those who are under the law from the curse of the law that we might now live not under the law but live under faith in Christ, receiving the blessing of Abraham. So, I want to show you something. I debated whether to say this, but I'm going to say this anyway, okay? Because that's what I do and I can prove it biblically and I know I'm right, okay? So, here's an example. And please don't be offended because, listen, I was there. I've preached this in the past, okay? There's been things I've preached in the past that I was sincere about, um, that I was trying to do good with. Um, but now I see things differently as I've grown in understanding and grown in the Word and dug into all of this. So there's a lot of things, and, and I don't fault you know, anybody, you know, because a lot of what... People repeat from the pews. They hear from the pulpit. So if anybody needs to be held accountable, it's those in the pulpit. So please do not take this as anything bad, okay? You know my heart. I would not do that. I do want to inform, okay? One of the most famous verses that in the past year and a half I have heard quoted more than any other verse as it relates to the world around us is 2 Chronicles 7.14. Does anybody know what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says? or even how it begins. If my people, who are called by my name, all right, let's look at that, okay? If you have a Bible, let's, let's, let, let's look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Again, I don't get down on anybody because everybody I know that's put this has been well-meaning, okay? We're all trying to do our best to, um, but I want to give a little perspective to see, to show us how easily we can misapply a scripture if we don't fully understand the context. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Now specifically, and you know, there's, you know, we even sold yard signs, you know, all around. Again, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be me. I'm just, I want to point something out. In love, okay? and learning, because again, I've preached in the past 2 Chronicles 7, 14, as the remedy that if my people, if the church called by my name humbles themselves, prays, turns from their wicked ways, God will heal. God will hear from heaven and heal their life. I have preached that, and I preached it in sincerity, with a good heart, well-meaning to point people to Jesus. So it's all in love. It's all in learn, okay? But here's what we do. 2 Chronicles seven 14. Let's just look at that one verse. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, all Scripture is given by God. All Scripture is profitable. That's not saying that there is nothing that is not profitable in these verses. Is there Anything wrong with humbling ourselves? Absolutely not. We're supposed to humble ourselves, okay? Is there anything wrong with praying? Absolutely not. We should pray and talk to God continually, all right? Is there anything wrong with with, with seeking God? Absolutely not. We should seek God. Is there anything wrong with turning from our wicked ways? No, we should turn from our wicked ways. Our lives would be better if we did that, okay? So there's nothing wrong with those things, okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I'm saying... And I remember specifically, and um, you know, and this is uh, a, a local person to to the region, you know, that I know, and and loves God, great pastor, man of God. But I remember he got on Facebook Live last year in the midst of a pandemic, and he said, "Everybody's trying to figure out how to get rid of this coronavirus." He said, "I'll tell you the remedy for coronavirus. I'll tell you the remedy. The remedy." is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If we did 2 Chronicles 7.14, coronavirus would disappear. This is the remedy. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not the remedy for coronavirus. Okay? So, if you take that one verse, that's that's a good verse. We should humble ourselves, pray, seek God, turn from our wicked ways. Okay? First of all, this verse is conditional. If we do these things, what does it say? Then... I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So first of all, this verse is conditional. If you do this, then I will do this. We don't have a conditional covenant with God like Israel did. The law was an if-then covenant. All right. Secondly, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is in a context. All right. Let's read just the verse before it. Okay, if if we say first, if we say Second Chronicles seven fourteen is the answer. Look at verse thirteen. This is God when I shut up the heavens. So this is God shutting up the heavens, stopping the rain from falling on the ground, so that there is no rain. Or when I command the locust to devour the land, when God sends a locust plague or when I send pestilence among my people. So, the reason God has to heal their land is because God has stopped sending rain, God has sent a locust plague, God has sent pestilence to his people to punish them. Why would he punish them? because of the curses in Deuteronomy. Shutting up the heavens, sending pestilence, locust all of that are curses of the law. So to say, yes, you know, 2 Corinthians seven fourteen is a remedy. First of all, we have to say, well, God sent COVID to kill, you know, a million people in order that we would do this, okay? So you have, you have to take the perspective that God sent this upon the world to wreak havoc upon the world. All right, so that's number one. Number two, look at the more broad context. Look in verse 11. 2 Chronicles. What's happening in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is the dedication of the temple. Solomon had just built the temple of God, and they're dedicating the temple. So verse 11 says this, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the temple, the king's and the king's house, All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord, in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night, this is verse number 12, and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen, listen, this place, this place, this temple, for myself as a house of sacrifice. Then he says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or the pestilence among my people. Who's my people? Here's what I hear all the time. If my people, that's if the church would... This is not the church. This is not talking about the church at all. This is talking about Israel and their temple and their covenant and their sacrifices. So this is not the church. You can't insert the church... Here. All right. Now look in verse 15. Verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place, the temple. I will hear from heaven, my my eyes will be attentive, my ears will be attentive to the prayer made in the temple of Solomon for Israel. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. So 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. Yes, while there is principles, is it a good thing to humble ourselves, pray, seek God, turn from our wicked ways? Yes. Will we spare ourselves a lot of hurt and consequences if we did that? Yes. So this is profitable. But to take this and make application exactly to the church and for COVID and for all of this, and to put the church there is a misapplication of this scripture. And it's a misapplication and a misunderstanding of the whole context and the whole context of the Old Covenant. And we do this with a lot of stuff, you know, in, in the Old Testament. So anytime you go to, to an Old Testament passage and you pick one verse out, be very careful. Are there things in here that we can pull? Sure. Is this a promise made to the church, no, it's not. There are good things. Yes, there's good things in there. That's why I do things like this, okay? This is why I've given my life in, in teaching us how to read the Bible, you know, to misapply it, you know, because then, um, you know, things become, and again, I don't, Can deal anybody. I've preached this passage to the church, for the church, about the church. I understand. I was doing it with a good heart, and I know other people are too. You know, I just bring that the point that we take these blessings and curses. We take what is said to Israel. The church does not have a land covenant with God. We do not have a land covenant with God. You know that. You know, for our crops and for this and that. You know, they had natural blessings. We're already blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places so no unfortunately this is not the answer to covid you know or anything else again good principles in there that we can take we take out the stuff that you know that are good principles humbling and praying and seeking god but knowing that we don't live in an if them covenant this was given to israel from a land covenant where they broke the covenant and god sent the pestilence god sent the drought god sent the locust upon them and he, he when they pray in the temple and they repent, they pray in the temple. He hears from that place that he put his name, and then he will forgive his people, Israel. So does everybody understand that? Okay, that's that's again, that comes from love. Um, you know, I I don't I don't get mad. You know, again, it's just yes, yes, and 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 you know, it can. It, 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 just, it just muddies the waters of, of our view of God and, and God's faithfulness. And again, it puts a lot of stuff back on us. You know, well, you know, if something's wrong with us. That's why God's sending all of this upon us. So just, you know, that's just something that I thought fit there well. Yes, that's, that, that's my thought for the day. Take on it, chew on it. If you see it a different way, Please come show me. If you have a question, please come show me. But that's the best thing I can do to give you an example of how you can take these blessings and curses for the land, for Israel, and misapply them uh, today. All right. So I just killed a lot of time on that, which I didn't, didn't want to do. but you, you can't just make a passing comment on something like that. You got to take the time. Uh, all right. So uh, the back of our page here, oh, my goodness, we're not getting anywhere. Um, chapter 29, Back in chapter 29. So just know Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Alright, there we go. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to... Every good and perfect gift comes from God. It is of my opinion. I know I have good friends that would differ. You know, I don't believe God takes... Pl- I don't believe God today is sending disasters and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and plagues upon you know, people for... You know, for punishment and all of that, I believe God is in the midst of it. You know, can those things be used to get our attention? Yeah, they they can be. You know, does does God take pleasure in killing millions of people today? I don't believe so. But again, that's that's neither here nor there. All right, uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine. Deuteronomy twenty nine. This is twenty nine begins the third speech of Moses. There's three major speeches. Uh, Deuteronomy 29 begins a third major speech of Moses, really reinforcing the points that he's already made um, in the chapter there. Um, he reminds them of the way that God led them out of Egypt to Moab, where they are. Now they're standing ready to renew the covenant made at Sinai. They must give wholehearted assent, um, not opt out. This has got to be all in to everybody for, for the nation. Um He gives dire warnings in chapter 30. um, And he gives them a choice in chapter 30. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 15, Moses says, See, I've set before you today life and good and death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, I command you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, keeping His commandments and statutes, then you shall live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if any of you turns away, will not hear, drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess it. And then he says in verse 19, um, usually the ancient Near East covenants after preambles After historical prologues, after stipulations, after blessings and curses, there's the witnesses. So notice what Moses does here in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So that's our, bless, that's our stipulations in 12 through 26. That's our blessings and curses and then calling the witnesses to witness this covenant heaven and earth i'm calling them as witness against you today and he's put before them a choice blessings curses life death and he says to choose life so that you will live long in the land and be prosperous in the land chapter 31 is moses's time is coming to an end he says in verse number two of deuteronomy 31 i am 120 years old today i am no longer able to go out and come in The Lord has said, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispose them uh, or or dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. So now comes the time when Joshua is going to be in the eyes of the people and he will be appointed as Moses' successor. So we find here in verse number 7, Moses summons Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So So Moses gives Joshua this charge that he is to lead the people. Then another successor that we don't talk about a lot to Moses, is the law itself. Verse 9 says, Then Moses wrote the law, gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the Lord. Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, they are supposed to gather together and read the law aloud and assemble the people. Um, And then Joshua and Moses are called together to the temple And God appears in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and a pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. So this is the transition, the appointment of Joshua. He's first given a charge by Moses, and then the law is to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. They're to read it every seven years to the whole assembly. And then God brings both Moses and Joshua to the door of the temple and covers them with His glory. And things are looking up, you know, when God calls Moses and Joshua. Things are looking up. Things look down very quickly. Uh, Beginning in verse number 16, um, God basically tells them um, things are not going to go well with Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after foreign gods among them in the land they are entering. They will forsake me, break my covenant that I've made with them my anger will be kindled against them. And God goes on to say that all these bad things will happen. And he tells Moses to write a song and teach a song to Israel. And is not like a song that we would sing in children's church uh, or a song that we would sing uh, in church. Uh, it's a song basically warning them about what would happen to them when they go into the land. Uh, for Moses says in verse 29 of chapter 31, the last uh, verse of that chapter, or last ver- one of the last verses, For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the works of your hands. So that is very sad. Um, even with the rising up of Joshua, the promise that God will give them the land. That's the immediate promise. Yes, you're going to be victorious. Yes, God's going to give you the land. When you get into the land, you're going to have a choice, but here's what's going to happen. When you get in there, you're going to be unfaithful. You're going to go after other gods, and evil will come upon you. So chapter 32 is this song of Moses. Um, I'll let you just kind of read Uh, that psalm, and kind of look at the notes on that. A couple of things from the psalm I do want to point out, though. Um, This song of Moses actually points to the time when Jesus comes in a couple of verses. If you notice, there are a couple of phrases that are used, and one scripture that is quoted that's quoted in the New Testament. If you look in verse number 5 of Deuteronomy 32, verse number 5 says this, they have dealt corruptly with him. The people have dealt corruptly with God. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. That's a phrase that's used in the New Testament. Um, in fact, um, this is another. I wish I could spend all the time I spent with talking about 2 Chronicles 7.14, talking about this, because uh, you know, this would be more fun to talk about. But um, that's one. The next verse I want to point out is verse number 20. Talking about God, and he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. Their end would not be good. He says, For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. And I made the context in the very last paragraph here. The song contains allusions to the time when Jesus comes to Israel. And Jesus comes to Israel. Matthew chapter 3 is very crucial. We're not going to read it. But Matthew chapter 3 is John the Baptist. When John the Baptist sees the Pharisees coming, here's what John the Baptist says. You generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And he talks about Jesus and he says, this is the time of harvest. The winnowing fork is in his hands. God is separating his wheat from the chaff, and he's speaking to Israel. Jesus is coming to Israel at the end of the old covenant to receive the fruits of the nation. And what does he ultimately find? There is no fruit. It's a barren fig tree. It cursed, he curses it and it dries up. He tells a parable to Israel about wicked tenants. And he says, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to another nation. And time after time, Jesus talks about that generation. They're a perverse generation. In Matthew 23, you generation of of serpents and vipers. And he talks about how I would have gathered you together. As a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He says, so behold, your house, your temple is left unto you desolate. And he begins to prophesy the destruction of the temple that would happen within 40 years. And he says, all these things will come upon this generation. And that is, the seeds of that is planted right here. When he says, I will show you what their end will be. They're a perverse generation in whom is no faithfulness. But look in the next verse, verse 41. I mean, 21 of Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, 21. They have made me jealous with what is no God, they provoke me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Did you know Paul quotes that verse in Romans chapter ten, verse nineteen? In the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. So this here in Moses' song is already pointing to the time when the gospel would go from Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. Where Paul writes in Romans 10, 19, I will make them jealous. So the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles was to provoke the Israelites to jealousy. And it's planted here in Deuteronomy chapter 32. So hidden in Deuteronomy 32 are these little scriptures that that later we come to find out have huge implications. Um, So that is the song of Deuteronomy 32. At the end of Deuteronomy 32, again, Moses' death is foretold, that he will be able to go up and view the land of Canaan, but yet he will die there. Then in chapter 33, um, in chapter 33 is the blessing of Moses. Before Moses' death, um, he blesses the tribes just as the blessing of Jacob happened in Genesis 49. If you remember before Jacob's death, he blessed all of his sons. Well, Moses here blesses all of the tribes as well. Um, Except one, I don't think Simeon is mentioned by this time. Simeon is kind of lumped in with Judah. But uh, 11 of the 12 tribes were specifically mentioned here by name. Um, And he ends the blessing in Deuteronomy 33, 29. Happy are you, blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, a shield for your help and a sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. So, you know, on one hand, you've got this, this imminent blessing of victory in the land, but you've also got this far out, in you know, a view that they're ultimately going to fail. So you've, you've kind of got, you know, these it's kind of hard to be really happy in this moment when you're told, you know, it's not going to be good. But for the immediate, they're going to receive their promised land. God's going to give them a chance. He's going to give them victory. He's going to bring them into the land. And, and that, in that respect, they are blessed. Um, but yet the end will be not good. Then chapter 34, and this is, the, this is the totality, this is the finality of Deuteronomy, and this is Moses' death. And this is kind of a sad chapter. Um, when you think about Moses and his beginning, you know, in the river and how God placed him in Pharaoh's palace to be a mighty deliverer, and then he's the mediator, and he stands before Pharaoh and does these mighty things, and he brings this nation, he's dealing with this nation of, of, just, of just dysfunctional people and trying to be the mediator between them and God and leading them. It's kind of a sad chat. It's kind of sad because number one, Moses doesn't get to lead the people into the land. He led them out of Egypt and would not get to lead them into the land. So what happens here in 34? Well, let's read some of this in 34 and then we'll, we'll close. Moses goes up from the plains of Moab to Nebo. He goes to the top of the mountain and the Lord shows him all the land, north, south, east, and west. He shows all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. He shows all of this. Jericho, the city of palm trees, he shows him it all. And in verse number four, the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, verse five, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the word of the Lord, he buried him, in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not, or his eye was undimmed, and his vigor unabated. How'd you like to be like that at 120 years old? (laughs) I turned 40 and everything's starting to fall apart. (laughs) 120, no eye problems, still had energy and strength. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. So God takes Moses up on the mountain shows him it all. Moses, this is it. This is what you've striven for. This is what you've strove for. This is it. Then he dies. And the interesting notes here that, you know, God is the one that buried Moses. And uh, no one knows where Moses is buried, so they wouldn't... Probably carry Moses on the journey with him, or put a marker there right on the other side of the of the Jordan and stay there and worship that. Uh, God buried him. Um, 120 years old, good health. God, God's hand was upon him. The people wept for 30 days. And then verse 9: And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him as as did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And I like this. Now, obviously, you know, most conservative scholars, and I believe that Moses wrote the majority of the first five books of the Bible. There may have been some editors to come along later to make things flow. Um, But Moses, this was probably by uh, an editor that added this last section in. Moses could have written about what happened at his death. Um, He obviously knew what was going to happen. This was probably added, so I, I just... Yeah, you know, this was if this was added, it could have been added by Joshua. Joshua could have added this, um, but I, I I just think this is a very fitting um, remembrance for Moses and this these last statements that he's made here. Verse number ten, I think it's a good honor to give to Moses here. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. You know, there were a lot of successes and failures along the way in the wilderness journey, but the thing this, this ending of Deuteronomy wants you to know is the power this man stood with when he believed God and stood in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh and the signs and the wonders that he did, and how through God overcame Pharaoh and the greatest nation. And that's the last words that the writer here in Deuteronomy wanted Israel to remember. How God used Moses and God's unfathomable mighty power to deliver his people, to give that to them as they move forward in the land. So Deuteronomy plays a huge role uh, in the story, in the progression, uh, there's a lot to take here. And I would note that this was the greatest in all of Israel until a prophet like unto him would come, and that would be Jesus. And that's ultimately the fulfillment of, of all of this. So um, what a journey it's been from, from Genesis here to Deuteronomy. Uh, so much uh, to do that, in only 34 uh, lessons is pretty remarkable. But uh, um, what a way to end Deuteronomy. Um, so uh, leaving the Pentateuch we jump into the action and there's a lot of action in the book of Joshua uh, and continuing on in what's called the block of books called the historical books of Israel as well and the fun is just beginning in here uh, any comments, questions?